Welcome back to the Purple Political Breakdown. How's it going? How's your day been? And today we got a very interesting episode. I have an interesting guest to come on and talk about systemic change and potential solutions in regards to that. That's a conversation that I touch upon, but this is a time and opportunity to go in a little bit more depth. So we're going to have our guest on, kind of give you a little background knowledge. We have our guest, David Peter Schroh. He's a founding uh, partner of Bridgeway Partners, a consulting firm that partners with mission-centered organizational leaders committed to advancing social and environmental transformation. He's internationally recognized for his work in enabling leaders to apply systems thinking to achieve breakthroughs around chronic, complex problems and to develop develop strategies which improve system-wide performance over time. David has been described as a magician and the master of providing interesting and useful ways to look at the complexity of systems thinking, who helped us tremendously in getting to the core issues with the mind of a scientist and the heart of a healer. There, uh, definitely a praiseworthy word right there. So we're going to have a great conversation with David here. So t- time to bring him on. How's it going? David. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice, nice to, to be you here. Uh, how are you doing? Very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, Thursday, the week is almost over, of course, as we know. So uh, going to the weekend, I don't know how you feel about, uh, you know, the Super Bowl, but I'm very much excited to watch some football this weekend, 100%. Well, living in the Bay Area, I got to say, I'm uh, rooting for the 49ers. Oh, that's unfortunate. Rooting against, I guess, every Taylor Swift fan out there, which is a tough one to line up against. Oh, I guess we're on the opposite sides of the aisles because I definitely root for Patrick Mahomes. So, Understandable. Understandable. Great player, 100%. But with that said, uh, we're definitely going to get into the conversation at hand. It should be very interesting, of course. Um, Every now and then, I I might put a a promo that might stop the conversation. So I'll kind of transition to that as time goes by. But the conversation regarding systemic change, uh, I'm going to allow you to kind of say the difference that you mentioned to me before, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty. So people understand. Yeah. It, it was interesting for me to kind of learn the differences. So I think people will want to hear that as well. Sure. Um, we were talking Riddell about the difference between system systemic and systematic. And I think people are more familiar with the word systematic. It basically, to me, means doing things step-by-step. What's a a linear step-by-step process for getting something done? Let's be systematic about it. Systemic means basically understanding how different parts of a complex um, situation are connected to each other and how those interconnections tend to produce certain results. So the kind of work I do is about understanding how complex systems behave and how to work with the forces in those systems to produce the kind of results we want to produce. Because we don't work with those forces, there are forces at play that are going to actually make it very hard to accomplish anything, to 
achieve any kind of change at all. So my work is about helping people think systemically. Uh, now there is a systematic process for doing that. How do you right. doing that? But ultimately we're looking for how things are connected and how to um, take advantage of those connections to produce the kind of results we want to accomplish. All right. Yeah, that's a definitely a distinction that I never really thought about. But yeah, those that distinction is very important, of course, when it comes to having these conversations, being very clear when it comes down to the definitions of the words that you're using in particular. So we'll get into those changes that you're referring to and kind of a little bit of a dialogue regarding it. But I always like my audience to kind of get to know the guests, to kind of get their kind of background a little bit to understand the perspective that their their talking points are coming from. I say it all the time that my podcast, the motto is political solutions without political bias. So people know that we have different different identities, ideologies, different types of people. So my first question for you is, what is your political affiliation? Well, I would say, first of all, I will say I love the word purple because I really believe that there is value to a blue perspective, if you will. And I think there's some very important insights, at least about a, a traditional way of thinking about conservatism. So I think there's value to both. Um, Politically, I am at this point, I guess, a liberal. Um, I'm a Democrat. I am not a progressive. So, um, you know, that made me put me center left or something like that. But because of my systems view of the world, I tend to think as much as possible in terms of both and rather than either or. And one way I would talk about systems thinking is it's a way of helping people cultivate a both and perspective on things. So one of the, the um, I think best visual symbols of systems thinking is the blind men and the elephant. And I don't know if you're familiar with that metaphor or not. Uh, I'm not, no. Okay. So um, if you imagine blind people touching different parts of an elephant, and this is based on a, a Sufi story from over a thousand years ago. Um, and the, uh, the blind person touching the um, hair of the elephant says, oh, this is like a brush. And the one touching the um, ear of the elephant says, oh, this is more like a fan. And the one touching the leg of the elephant says, no, this is really more like a tree trunk. And the one touching the trunk is saying, no, it's more like a hose. Now, everybody kind of swears by the part of the elephant that they can see or they can feel, they can sense. Mm -hmm. 
but they then make the mistake of assuming that the part of reality they see is all of it. And that it's important for them to argue that their way of viewing the world is the only way to see it. When in fact, there is an elephant. All of them are in touch with part of a more complex reality. And in order to move forward in any way, they all need to collectively recognize what that elephant is. Where are they in reality? So I might, you know, you might have a, an argument about, well, how do we get to Chicago? What's the best way to get to Chicago? And someone might argue, you got to drive north on Interstate 55. And somebody else is going to say, no, 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 no. We got to drive west on Interstate 90. And someone else is going to say, no, no, you got to start on Interstate 10 and drive east before you go north. I guess it depends on where those folks are starting out. If you're starting on the West Coast, you're going to have one answer to that question. If you're in the South, you're going to have another. If you're starting on the East Coast, you're going to have another. How do you help people at least get to the point where they recognize the same starting point that they all are part of? and then determine what's the best way to get to Chicago or wherever else they're going. Yeah, that metaphor definitely embodies something that I constantly believe and preach consistently on my podcast that for the most part, the, the biggest issue is people don't have the proper nuance, perspective and experience to really understand the complete picture, especially on these very controversial political topics. Conversation is obviously the biggest key to actually understand. Obviously, getting different experiences, travel is huge too. But with the component that is social media, you are able to talk with so many different people. So having these conversations, just conversing with other people, you really get to understand that the, the picture that you're seeing, the part of the elephant, as you said, that you're touching is not the complete elephant. It's not the complete picture. Most of the time, and I mean most of the time, the situations that we're talking about are much more nuanced than the headlines that people tell you. And that's just the reality of the situation. These things are complicated for a reason, but if we just go back and forth with these headlines and just argue and say, I'm right, you're wrong, then there's no progression, there's no compromise, and there's really no way forward. And that's the biggest problem. So with that said, as of right now, in terms of the political landscape of the the two sides, the left and the right, people have said that this is a very toxic environment. This is probably the most divided we've been in a very long time. And the question for you is, do you think this is the most divided we've been since the Civil War, perhaps? Well, I think there have been different stages in American history um, when there have been very severe divisions. I certainly think the Civil War is one of those. And some people are saying, you know, we're just fighting the Civil War all over again. 
Um, but there have also been other critical moments uh, where democracy is, is we conceived of it. Um, and I understand there's a difference between how we conceived of it in the ideal and how we conceived of it in, in practice at the founding of our nation. Um, but reconstruction um, and the, um, the beginnings of Jim Crow after slavery had formally ended, I think was a very critical time. I think that the um, wealth divisions that showed up in the 1890s and then again uh, in the early 1900s leading to the Great Recession uh, was also a very volatile time uh, in American politics. And so there, there are echoes of these kinds of tensions throughout American history. Uh, one of the ones that's really showing up right now is, uh, and has shown up previously, is the conflict between um, having a strong federal government and uh, having a weak federal government and sort of everything devolving to the states. Um, and I think that's also a, a critical division, and it, it, it echoes in the Civil War uh, as to whether, you know, to what extent Southern states had rights um, for how they ran their economies um, in relation to a, a larger national picture. Fair enough, fair enough. At the very least, um... This is a very unique era in terms of political division, obviously, in due part due to social media and how it has kind of inflamed kind of the worst parts of people and worst parts of humanity, of course, in these conversations. And people are getting in more and more information that tend not to be correct, but it's getting multiplied to a stronger extent and people are getting more attached to these headlines like i said and personalities uh so with that said with the left and right kind of being what they are especially the extremes do you believe a it is time officially for america to introduce a, a strong moderate third party to kind of bridge the gap between the two i i haven't really thought about it um my own knowledge of American history is that it's been very, very hard to um, create any kind of third party that's had significant teeth. Um, what it has tended to do is to be a minority party that drains off votes from one right. of the two major parties, but is not effective at taking a the third party stance. And I think the problem often with, with the third party is it doesn't consciously try to integrate the best of what both parties have stood for. It tends to try to 
pull even further toward one extreme or another, like a Green Party, or um, I, I can't think of a kind of extreme conservative party, um, sadly, that at this point isn't the Republican Party. Um, but I think that an ability to bridge differences and to create a politics that is more about win-win than win-lose is what we need. And I'm not sure that a third party um, is going to be able to do that. I mean, it'd be great, but I, I don't necessarily know that that would be the way to get there. These are definitely fair concerns. And um, with the understanding that a third party may exist, obviously there will be other potential parties that will try to kind of implement themselves into the political uh, picture, such as, like you said earlier, like the uh, Green Party, maybe even a lib uh, Libertarian Party. Um, yeah. So the I guess the focus as of right now is the – a party that truly represents the ma the majority of people's interests, and that tends to be left-leaning, right-leaning, and the moderate opinion, which is actually the majority opinion in America. So having a party that represents that would be key. But how do we do that? And for me, something that I've constantly said is, one, we would need voting reform. And I've talked about that continuously, and I've talked to a lot of different organizations in regards to things that they plan to or are trying to pitch as a more representative voting system that adheres to people's interests. So it's not a lesser two evils every election. It's like, it's only these two guys. So I'm just going to choose Biden because I hate him less than Trump. We need a, a system of voting that people don't feel afraid to give their truest thoughts about the candidates that they're voting for. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is I do think this is a more interesting and more particular era in politics. And I think Vivek, a Republican candidate, kind of shed light on how you would approach this is the introduction and the influence and the power of social media and appealing to these casual watchers. The reason why Vivek was able to appeal to so many people because he did what, you know, more politicians should do. Donald Trump already had the clout, but for Vivek, he got on the scene because he was making TikToks, he was going on podcasts, he was going on popular podcasts that everybody knows, and giving his genuine opinion. Now, I disagree with a lot of what Vivek says, but the, the approach that he went about is the reason why he was the fourth most popular Republican candidate in the Republican primary. So... Social media and the combination of voting reform can definitely eventually introduce a third party, in my personal opinion. But we'll have to continuously advocate for those things and candidates have to be more willing to do these things. Even RFK has been on a couple podcasts, too, and he's running as independent. So I think he knows how to approach this, especially for third parties. But with that said, oh, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think the problem with social media is that it's designed in such a way as to make simple points and amplify them. It's not really designed to create the kind of nuanced, 
conversation and dialogue that you yourself referred to earlier in the podcast. Um, so I think, you know, going all the way back to a guy named Marshall McLuhan in the late 60s, the medium is the message. Um, and sadly, the, 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 the medium of social media tends to provide messages that are right, wrong, win, lose, um, our point, our view is right, their view is wrong, they're bad, we're good. Whatever it is, it doesn't create that kind of more holistic and integrative viewpoint or a set of conversations that we need. There was a, uh, a systems thinker who made a great point about quote unquote moderates and um, a woman named Danella Meadows. And she said, the problem with moderates is that they're too moderate about their moderation. And I think we need people who are more assertive about moderation, uh, about the value of different perspectives and who really demonstrate that they honor them. Now, personally, I tend to think that Biden and the Democratic Party does a better job of that than at least the current Republican Party does. But um, it's, you know, what I think money, when you talk about voting reform, I think money has poisoned politics uh, to a large extent. And it has gotten the Democrats caught up in chasing the money as well as it has the Republicans. Um, decisions like Citizens United are, I think, terrible for democracy. We've tended to become more one dollar, one vote. Um, elite on both sides tend to have inordinate influence on how people perceive the world and um, get their information and interpret it and make decisions. I believe in Australia, and I am not a political scientist, by the way, but I believe in Australia, um, the national government allocates a certain amount of money to each candidate who passes a certain threshold. And everybody has the same amount of money to, to put in the political game. And so it isn't so much, you, you can't win just on the basis of money. Now, it's also true there are a lot of well-heeled people who have lost elections in recent years. So you certainly can't say that money um, in and of itself is determinant, but you can use money to shape opinions and um, particularly opinions through social media. 
not always to the good. Personally, I think that wealth inequality is one of the greatest challenges to our country and to other, uh, other developed countries, other democracies are experiencing similar types of breakdowns between right and left populist versus more, you know, liberal points of view on things. And I think that often um, conservative elites particularly know how to maintain their power by amplifying divisions between different groups. So um, in, in one of my articles, I wrote about ethnic manipulation, which in, uh, people use different terms for it, but it's basically a divide and conquer strategy. If I can convince you that um, the, let's say if, if I'm wealthy and white and uh, want to maintain the status quo, I can convince you that one, it's better to be white than it is to be a person of color, to be an immigrant. And those folks are dangerous or those folks are lazy or whatever. And you, Mr. White person, are more deserving. And I will do things to help you succeed or protect you more, more often it's to protect you from them. And so you get a lot of law and order type of um, political stances and arguments. And it's a great way to take what would otherwise be a breakdown in of class and say, hey, look, if you're poor in this country, you're getting screwed whether you're white or a person of color. You might be getting a little less screwed if you're poor and you're white, but not much. In fact, one of the greatest satisfactions that you will have is telling yourself, at least I'm white and they're not. And therefore I'm more deserving. Whether I get more or not, or whether at the end of the day, my pocketbook is as bad off as the person of color down the street, at least I'm gonna think that I'm better than other people. All of that type of division, I believe is amplified by white people who are more interested in maintaining the status quo, more interested in their own pocketbooks than they are in a larger population. So there's uh, a few things that you said there, and um, we'll dive into the main topic in a, in a sec. That are that are interesting, of course. Now, when it comes to social media, social media for me, at the very least, I I think it has been a net positive to society. Now, 
the reason why I have all the conversations that I have, because ultimately I'm not as doom repealed as like a lot of people are, is I think our society has progressed quite a lot since even 10 years ago. That the problem is thinking that we can't still progress and do more. And some people go too crazy with it. And some people don't go crazy enough. We got to have that kind of nuanced position of understanding there are places we can improve on and we need to focus on the right areas. So even though overall society has been uh, progressing, there are elements in our society that shouldn't that is not progressed enough. And I've talked about it extensively, such as public education, such as certain low income in, uh, communities. So that's very important to consider. And when it comes to social media, I do think it is a representation of people. And it's just done at a larger scale and it's done at a at a it gives an opportunity, probably the worst part about it, in the sense that you can share opinions, but you also can lock yourself in an echo chamber. And those echo chambers can be obviously very toxic and it can really reinforce your opinion and how bad the opinion is. The problem here is the difference between you being in your own community at home versus social media is you can spread that opinion. So there's negatives, obviously, to social media, but there's extensive positives, too, ultimately. So it really depends on how you use it. And if you're a third party candidate, you would have to get your message across. You won't be able to obviously go into a nuanced conversation with everybody there. But you want to get yourself known to the people that are not paying attention to politics because there's a lot of people giving up. They want hope and a third party could possibly provide them that same hope, depending on how the conversation goes. That's why we have to have a little some people go like, hey, man, let me hear you talking out. And then some people like me or other content creators go like, I hear you out. But this is what I have a problem with. So that's for sure. And what you said with moderates, I actually agree completely. There is very few moderates like myself. And yes, I'm considering myself a very unique type of moderate. That is a moderate in the sense that all my positions are my own. The only reason why I call myself moderate is because I have no, I'm not calling myself a conservative or a liberal. So there's really no else to put it because I have opinions that are left leaning and I have opinions that are right leaning. But I stand by my opinions. I'm not going to compromise on my opinions, but I will have a conversation. We can't come to a compromise. So there are moderates that either pretend to be moderate. And are, and I'm be honest here, pretend to be moderate and are conservatives, like 100%. Or there are people who are so moderate, they don't want to get involved. So those are probably the majority of moderates, to be honest. So I definitely feel that 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 reference that you alluded to earlier, I do think that it speaks truth to the current depiction of moderates in politics as of right now. Well, can, so, I, can I offer... Um... Go for it. Perhaps a moderate point of view. I'd, I'd be curious, actually, whether you would consider what I'm about to say a moderate point of view or not. Um, you know, I said I, I have a liberal bent, uh, but also recognize certain conservative values. Uh, the liberal bent is one where uh, the founding principles of our nation are very, very important that all men are created equal, that uh, creating equal opportunity for people is essential. Um, and 
and other elements. Uh, um, I, I love the uh, the observation, you know, that's on our uh, our money. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. So there's value in diversity. There's power and effectiveness in diversity. So celebrating diversity, respecting different points of view, all of those to me are part of the democratic, not democratic party, but small d democratic way of life. Now, I can say all of that. And at the same time, I can say, um, yeah, I actually think that family values are being undermined, that we aren't supporting strong families. We aren't strong, supporting strong marriages. We aren't supporting strong citizens who are informed and motivated and capable of thinking through complex issues and talking with their neighbors who may have different points of view. I think we're kind of spiritually, if not bankrupt, at least very impoverished as a nation. And by spiritual to me, I'm not talking any particular religion, but I'm talking about the values of a spiritual way of life is to which is to recognize interconnectedness interconnectedness between human beings interconnectedness between human beings and nature and to value and celebrate and stand for that and i think that has gotten kind of lost in the shuffle as well so I can feel personally very comfortable in taking strong quote unquote blue stands and in some ways can strong red stands uh, as well. Yeah, for me, I, I would say, I guess it could be de deemed a, a kind of threshold thing to maybe some in the sense that on general, how many of your opinions rely in a kind of leftist view versus right-leaning view? But ultimately, I mean, I would call something like that of a more moderate opinion in the terms that there are views that you hold leftist, but not everybody's values and, and culture and kind of moral structure need to be the same necessarily, the, the thing that is very important in these conversations is, okay, can you rationalize your position? What is your understanding of what is going on? And are you having your opinion because you're being told to have the opinion? Or are you having the opinion because your, your moral structure, your, your kind of guidepost is telling you that this is right to you? And I feel like most people are that way. And then you hear a lot of people say that I'm a Democrat. I'm just going to believe in the Democrat point of view. And I'm a conservative. I'm a Republican. I'm a Trumpster. And I'm just going to believe in the Trumpster Republican point of view. And once we go down a line of dialogue, because I spoke to plenty of Democrats and plenty of Republicans, you get to realize that 
there's much more rationale. But the reason why they believe what they believe is because they have to adhere to their political ideology. So I think for the most part, people tend to be more moderate more often than not in these positions. But if they're in certain spaces, they're just going to blindly follow the party that they're aligned with, which is the problem. They don't follow their values. They follow the values told to them, which is an issue. Well, I think that that's a very good observation. And I would agree with that. And I'm also wondering, Riddell, if I would, would add to that, whether or not you'd also think this uh, is true in your experience. It's a combination of being able to think for yourself and advocate your point of view on the one hand, but also be able to listen to and value and incorporate and seek to build on and with other points of view so that bipartisanship used to be a fairly honorable term if you go back to politics when i was growing up yeah there was a lot of you know differences still between Democrats and Republicans, but there was somehow an unspoken value that if I was a conservative and I felt that business had the answer, or if I was a liberal and I felt that government had the answer, that somehow because of our shared interest in the whole, we would look for ways and solutions that incorporated the best of government and the best of business and actually limited and constrained the weaknesses of government and the weaknesses of businesses. But I don't think that type of both and thinking, which again, I might think of as label as bipartisanship um, is hard to come by in this political climate. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, conversations can build upon each other and it does require listening and it does require a willing to listen, obviously. Ultimately, people, I say this time and time again, and I'm keep in mind people who are listening. I am not a saint or an ultimate good guy by any means, but I truly do believe that people have good intentions behind the uh, the things that they are advocating for. More often than not, it's a situation where they believe that their position is the betterment of society. Now, the problem is obviously when they think that I'm the good guy, they're the bad guy, and they're not gonna you're not gonna be willing to converse with someone you deem a bad guy. They go to extremes. They don't understand, they don't get the full picture. So once you really talk to them, have a dialogue, converse, get behind the emotional attachment to your position, then you can start building on these positions and realize. Maybe we can come to a compromise. We don't have to go through these extreme stances that more often than not will probably destroy the country, which none of us want. So, yeah, I, I, I do think yeah. it can be built upon. 
I, I think that's very, very true. I think there is, you know, we're all human beings and uh, we value we value family, we value nature, we want to be able to um, earn a good living and ideally do work that we love to do and get paid for it. Um, we, we like to explore, but we also like familiarity. We like to um, be in community, but we also like to stick our nose out and see what what we haven't discovered around the corner. I mean, we all have these different parts of ourselves and um, I think what social media does and what the political climate does right now is they, they push very hard for us to be on one side of these different paradoxes or internal tensions um, at the expense of the other. When in fact, most of us, if we had our way, would would have a combination. We'd be good good workers and good family people. We'd look out for our own, but we'd also look out for the other guy. Um, we'd, you know, um, enjoy the cultural diversity of a city, but we'd also want to be nourished by nature. I mean, these are often both ends inside of us that tend to get pushed toward one end of, a, uh, of an extreme or the other. A hundred percent agree. So we're going to start diving into the main topic. Before we do that, I'm trying something new with this new kind of software that I'm using. So I'm going to hit a uh, quick promo for you. Shout out Pod Nation. Let's run it. Pod Nation TV has you beamed up with out-of-this-world award-winning podcasts found exclusively on Pod Nation TV. Download Pod Nation TV for Roku and Fire TV. Pod Nation TV, out of this world. All right. So with that said, the main topic that we're going to be discussing is a revolving systemic solutions basically now there's one that i definitely a hundred percent i personally believe is the biggest systemic inequality in america right now and that is wealth inequality that was i believe is the biggest problem currently in our country i think that is the biggest problem that we are seeing especially with the middle class obviously disappearing the poor are getting poor and the richer are getting richer so with that said let me hear your thoughts about wealth inequality and kind of your current perception of it right now in America before we kind of dive into the details. Well, first of all, I would say I totally agree with you. And I have um, an article uh, that's currently submitted for you know possible publication. And if not, it will come out one way or the other on um, overcoming the simultaneous problems of climate change, racial tension, and a preference for author authoritarian leadership. And to me, all three of those are connected. And one of the most important things that connects them 
is that they are all amplified by wealth inequality and they all amplify wealth inequality. So if you want to address any of those three, if you happen to be really concerned about climate issues, or you're really concerned about racial tension, or you're really concerned about threats to democracy, I think understanding how wealth inequality impacts all of those and is made worse by all of those is a good place to start. All right. Uh, so let's kind of go through them one by one. Let's talk about the uh, threats to democracy and how that plays into wealth inequality first. Okay. So um, one of the ways in which wealthy people and powerful people seek to maintain their wealth and power is by fanning divisions, as I said earlier, which gets to the, the racial tension and fears of immigration, fears of, you know, people of a different color skin than you and all of that. And by invoking that kind of fear, you can then say, I am the law and order candidate who is going to protect you from those horrible other people, those scary other people. And the way I will do that is by ignoring democratic principles and democratic values and being the boss. You also, in order to make that work, need to undermine government as a sector committed to the public good. Because when you fan those divisions, people are saying there is no such thing as a public good. There's either my good or there's their good, but there's no such thing as a public good. And what good is government anyhow? It's inefficient. It's trying to protect those other people and screw me. And why should I pay taxes that are gonna go to people who are undeserving when I could have someone who's clearly on my side and looking out for me, offering to protect me. So that's how that argument plays out. And then if you do effectively become an authoritarian leader, you can skew the economic system and the political system even more in your favor I mean, take a look at the quote unquote tax reform bill of 2017. I mean, who are you kidding in terms of who that really served? And further amplify your wealth as a result. So that's one, one of those connections. So with that said, I am curious. So how exactly would you be able to, or what's your solution to kind of fixing that? Well, I think that depends on 
where the solution is coming from in terms of what levers people have available to them. But when you talk about systems overall, you talk about different types of interventions. There are the more formal policy types of interventions like tax reform, voting reform, um, inheritance laws, um, I mean, any one of a number of laws that are designed to favor people who, who already have a lot of wealth and power. So there's policy change. But if you want to really make policy change, you're also going to have to question relationships. And right now, relationships tend to skew in terms of what's good for my color skin versus what's good for somebody else's color skin or other ethnic type of identity than it is to what extent is the economy designed and the political and economic system designed to serve the many independent of their ethnic identity versus the few. So we need to build relationships across people to me more by class than by color. And there are some really fabulous bridging organizations out there. One of them is Living Room Conversations. Another one is Braver Angels. Another one is the Public Conversation Project. There are foundations that donate to facilitating and, and, and strengthening these, what I would call bridging organizations that take people with different political points of view or stances on different issues and helps them uncover their shared humanity and their discover the common ground that they've lost sight of. So building new relationships is a critical part of changing any kind of system. A third way, and even deeper than that, has to do with our belief systems, our assumptions, our mental models about how the way the world works. And in this case, we need to question, where does happiness come from? Does it come from how much money you have? how much stuff you have, or does it come from, and, and obviously there's a threshold here. I mean, you, you need a certain amount to, to survive and not have to worry about money and all of that. But beyond that, most of the research shows that more stuff, more money is not going to make you happier. What will is better quality relationships, both with other people and to be nourished by nature. And if you have to be 
on the wealthier end of things to make a distinction between, well, why do I have that wealth? And what does that say to me about who I am as a person? Does having more mean I'm a better person than those who have less? Or does it simply mean in some ways I'm damn lucky? And yes, I might work hard, but I'm sure people who have less than I do also work hard. Yeah, there's some lazy people, but I think there may be as many lazy people who are wealthy as there are who are not. And generally, most people want to work hard. They want to do well. And we need to both take the stigmas off of poor people and what it means about being poor. Being poor means you're a loser. It means you're bad. It means you're lazy. It means you're whatever. And being wealthy and powerful means you're good. Well, that ain't necessarily so. So changing beliefs about happiness, about wealth, about poverty, about the value to everybody of leveling the playing field. And then finally, we need to question purpose or intention. What are we about? What are we trying to accomplish as a nation? Are we trying to create a nation that serves as many people as possible in this nation? Or that finally tilts the playing field to one particular side or identity over another? When it comes down to it, and I'll be honest here, for, for the conversations that I like to have um, in regards to the three things that you mentioned, and we'll kind of dive into things a little bit more intricately in a second, is that when it comes down to um, democracy and the the leaders that are put in place, I do think there is a legitimate question in terms of, um, obviously, not only the political leaders, but the business leaders as well and what their what their intent is and you could definitely argue to an extent that their intent is for themselves to or at the very least their intent is to themselves to get voted or obviously get more money if they're a business leader so you those are things that that the people should be willing to challenge because at the end of the day the people are what makes this country run of course so in order for that to kind of put any everything in place i constantly reinforce that these elites these leaders they are there they're put there by you the only reason why they're in this position is through you so you have to constantly remind them that they are working for the people so that's always going to be important to reinforce because i think they're the dissociation is getting further and further apart to the point where we're kind of having a similar Oh, medieval style where we think they're just royalty and untouchable when that is simply not true, of course. Um, as for climate change, I mean, I think climate change, I've always been 50-50 with it. I do think it's happening. I think the always question is to the extent. Um, but I am in for climate change solutions. 
um, always for climate change. I had someone come on with a great solution on how you can implement a uh, carbon dioxide absorbing algae into paint. And that was an excellent solution instead of protesting in the middle of the street and preventing people to go to work. So I'm definitely a climate change um you know, I'm positive when it comes to climate change. If you have a great solution, I'm all here for it. Better climate, that's better for everybody involved. I'll be honest, though, when it comes down to racial issues and racial tension, I do think it is a very nuanced thing. I don't believe that systems as of right now are inherently racist, but I do believe that there can be racist people in power but you would have to prove that. And that's always a big thing for me when it comes down to, it, especially from my experience where I always prove my credibility through my own actions, but I know some people don't have the opportunity and that is a different conversation, making sure these people have the opportunity and how we go about that. So you definitely dove into very key ways to ensure that people have the opportunity to ensure that our society moves forward. When it comes to political advocacy, to advocate for policies that are in the betterment for the people, obviously, I say I say things like participate in your local election, get more education, educated because uh, in terms to things going on in your community. What are ways, in your opinion, that we can ensure better policies for the country? Well, let me let me. Um target climate change as, as an example to answer that question. Go for it. Um, on the one hand, you know, I, I definitely agree with you that getting involved in politics um, at the local level, um, looking for candidates who take, uh, and, and elected officials who take the problem seriously um, and voting for them, you know, all good stuff. Um, I understand letter, letter writing is very, very powerful, uh, that particularly elected officials listen to, um, they read their mail, um, and that that's important to recognize. On the other hand, I also think that whatever we can do as individuals might feel like a drop in the bucket and not worth doing, like what is our own lifestyle? To what extent, like food waste is one of the largest contributors to climate change. To what extent are we tossing out food at home? Um, what kind of transportation do we use? Um, what kind of clothes do we buy? Um, what kind of power do we use in our homes? I mean, there, there's all sorts of domestic-based decisions, which, again, individual by individual might not make a difference. But when you add up the signals from individuals about what kind of products they're willing to buy, what kind of messages they're willing to send to formal political leaders, that stuff adds up. Paul Hawken, who's one of the leading thinkers around climate change, says the most important thing, one of the most important things you can do is talk about it. Get into conversations about the issue. 
and you'll discover that there are more like-minded people out there that, you know, there's, you can get ideas from other people about what they're doing in their, in their own homes. You can start to, um, form collaboratives of any kind to have a larger voice. But I strongly believe, uh, and my wife um, is working on a book on this very topic, that change, facilitating, uh, addressing climate change, any kind of change, needs to be bottom up, not just top down. Because when it's bottom up, it sends signals to the people at the top that if you want to stay in office, if you want your company to continue to be solvent, then you're going to have to listen to the signals from voters. You're going to have to listen to the signals from consumers and make adjustments accordingly. I want to reinforce something you just said, um, because it is more than just being uh, participating in your local election. I think I heard a story that a there was a lady, old lady, and there was a traffic light traffic signal that was in a very unfavorable spot, or I think it got removed. And then that lady went to town hall consistently, constantly, and just by her efforts alone, she was able to get that traffic signal back where it belonged. And what that shows you is that, yes, vote in your local election, the most important election to you as an individual, but also being an advocate in your community. That's the other part of the equation that obviously people need to take into account because the people that are truly getting involved into what's going on, they're people, they tend to be just older people who just have time and they just know that it's important to go to town hall, talk to senators, call them, send them letters. That's something every single person can do. That's something every single person has the time to do. It's not going to ruin your whole game plan unless you don't want change in your community. So, yeah, being an advocate is is wholly important. And I have preached for sure on my podcast the power of the minority in the sense that change comes with people who truly care. And they are able to influence others by showing how much they care, of course. So, yeah, be, being much, very much involved. I will say that convincing people that to change their lifestyle will always be difficult, however. Right. When it comes down to it, changing their transportation or changing the, their electricity to solar panels, those type of things that when they hear that, it's like, I have to do so much because inherently, especially people who don't have time and they're working nine to fives. They don't want to move from their own game plan. At the very least, being taken away an hour out of your day is something, but changing your lifestyle is completely different. So I agree that changing their mindset will be huge, but also giving them a solution that adheres to what they are doing will probably be the most valuable in that equation. That it adheres to their There's a long list. There's a laundry list of stuff anybody can be doing. And the most important thing I think is find something that you believe in that's aligned with what you love to do anyhow. 
and what you're good at doing and do that. Everybody's kind of looking for the, what's the one thing that I'm supposed to do? And then, no, that's too big. I'm, I'm supposed to not eat red meat. No, that's too big. Therefore, I'm not going to do anything. It's moving from that to what is the menu of possibilities of things I could do and what really excites me, what brings out the best in me. So um, our family was just in Ecuador um, <laughs> right at the time that the drug cartels broke out of prison. Not great timing, but um, be that as it may, Ecuador is the only country in the world where the rights of nature are enshrined into their constitution. And one um, process they have for bringing together people around climate change, they call a minga. And what a minga is, is a community gathering designed to do something like clean up a local river. Now that sounds like a drag. I'm going to have to waste my Sunday and go out there and pick up garbage. And who wants to do that? And I could be watching the football game or, you know, whatever it is. As opposed to, hey, we're having a party down at the river. We're going to bring... Those of you who love to play music, bring your music. Those of you who love to share your favorite foods, bring your favorite foods. Those of you who love to dance, bring your dancing shoes. And oh, by the way, as we're doing this, we're also gonna be cleaning up the river. We're gonna have a party down at the river. It's kind of like what a barn raising used to be, but now applied to a river cleanup. And it turns out, I, I know one of the, the people who created this whole approach in Ecuador, and they've been approached by Rotary worldwide to introduce this kind of idea through Rotaries around the world so that it doesn't have to be a drag it can be a celebration. No, that's very smart. Appealing to their interests is 100% a very intelligent way to approach that because one of the easiest ways to get people involved is when they're obviously enjoying themselves. Joy highlights your kind of best traits to an extent in terms of you and that are doing an activity. So that's a very good idea. And I guess that plays into another aspect that you mentioned earlier in terms of, you know, bridging the gaps and changing people's mindset. Now, I, I do want to get some uh, something clear because I actually have never heard of organizations like the ones that you you mentioned in terms of um, an organization that goes to people's places and and kind of talks to them. Can you kind of explain that a little bit more on what that is? Well uh, let me, uh, I'll share about the one I happen to know best because um, I know the founder. Um, it's called Living Room Conversations. And what 
they do. They've actually created about a hundred conversation guides that you can download from the internet on all sorts of topics, including most recently trust in voting. It could be around climate change. It could be around abortion. It could be around public education or any, any types of topics where there's controversy. And a simple design is to find two people who are like-minded to you about whatever that topic is, and three people who have a very different point of view, or one other person who has a very different point of view who recruit two more of their friends. And the six of you sit down for a guided conversation for an hour and a half or so to talk about the topic, but it's very structured. There is a question at the beginning about just getting to know each other, who we are, how we view the topic, and most importantly, how we got there. And how do they find these people? That, that could be a challenge. Um, the, the founder of it has a lot of experience in helping people bring, bring people together to do that. And she'd be better positioned to answer that question than I would. But you, you usually find one person, if you're on one side of the fence, you may know one other person on the other side of the fence about an issue. And you kind of what a common denominator is, is you're both willing to have a conversation about the differences rather than just, you know, um, judge the other person and not want to have anything to do with them. Um, in any case, there, there's a, a series of three questions that are guided questions based on the topic. And often people get together, they have one of these conversations and out of that, they say, wow, we're just starting to get into this. I didn't know you felt that way. Geez, you're not so bad after all. Boy, if I'd grown up the way you'd grown up, I'd have the exact same position you would, etc. People uncover their hum shared humanity. They don't necessarily change their minds. And the goal is definitely not to change the minds of the people on the other side. But it is to build back that shared sense of humanity that's essential to getting us out of the mess that we're in. Instead of demonizing the other side, we come to understand them and respect them and how they got to where they are. Yeah, that sounds like a very interesting organization, kind of very the, the premise and the idea of having the conversations and uh, trying to open up people's perspective in terms of these conversations is something I'm a huge advocate for. So organizations such as the ones that you mentioned can be truly valuable in terms of um, kind of changing people's opinions, especially I would say probably kind of it would help if these type of organizations were more introduced on college institutions because that's that's definitely where the more 
toxic discourse tends to happen and obviously the more radical positions tend to happen because you're learning about this material for the first time you have a fresh new mind you truly don't know the nuances and the intricacies of the things that you are talking about you're getting reinforced the opinion through social media nowadays so it's probably even more radical nowadays but that's where usual radical tend to young college leftists tend to appear. I know my college had something called sustained dialogue where I had moderators, but I never really, uh, I, I was a moderator at one point, but it never really dove into anything of substance in terms of topics. I think they strayed away from kind of political conversations and they let students technically handle it, even though I, I, I have pretty moderate opinion throughout my life, but an organization like that would truly be useful in trying to get these students to understand each other. How how do you think these organizations can further help people's understanding moving forward? Well, one thing I just want to back up for a moment, Riddell. You remind me when you mention uh, universities as a you know possible natural sponsor for these types of conversations. I believe that the founder and her woman is Joan Blades, and I'd be glad to, you know, introduce you to each other um, for a, a further another show if you wanted to. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but she mentions um, churches are really good sponsors for these types of conversations, and libraries are really good sponsors for these types of conversations. So civic organizations that are that are accepted, that are respected, um, can be good places to to look for and then bring together people from different sides of an issue. Okay, that makes sense to me, 100%. Uh, So for the last uh, like 14-ish minutes, can you kind of articulate like the strongest and biggest point that you believe kind of coincides with your position and the solution you advocate for the most for us to kind of move forward and start achieving systemic change? Great question. And I do have a thought on it. Um, The greatest lever any one of us has in changing a system is changing ourselves. There's a a wonderful observation that I first heard in a rock lyric. I don't don't remember the song, but the words were, everybody wants to change the world. Nobody wants to change themselves. And um, kind of a a similar statement from a, a former Um, Professor Emeritus of Leadership at Boston College, a guy named Bill Torbert said, if you are not aware of how you are part of the problem, you can't be part of the solution. And everybody thinks that they are part of the solution. Nobody and this is obviously generalizing, but very few people want to consider how they're part of the problem. And you can be part of the problem and not know it 
in a number of different ways. By having one intention that you talk about and another one that you live by. By having certain beliefs about the way the world works or should work that are not tested, that are not open to influence. By behaving in certain ways and taking certain actions or conversely, not taking other actions. So our own intentions, our own thinking and our own behavior are the ones, the things that we have the greatest control over. Everybody says the system is broken. Those leaders out there somewhere should change the system. We put them there to do that. But you can't just throw up your hands and expect them to do it unless you do something as well. And one thing I will, you know, give credit to Republicans for is that they've historically been very well organized at the grassroots level. And they take their organizing and collective action very seriously. Do I necessarily believe with some of the actions and, you know, policies that they've been promoting? No. Are they good organizers? Sure, it seems that they are. Um, so if you want to change something, the greatest place, and not that, not that you stop there, you don't just, you know, quite a change yourself and kind of wash your hands of it, but how do you change yourself in a way that you start interacting with the world differently? Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see. And we talked earlier a little bit about being a role model. And Riddell, I think you referred, you know, without talking about it necessarily, but how you feel like you're a role model for moderation and what are, what are the intentions that you have around that? And you obviously created this broadcast, this podcast to serve that commitment that you have and you have to be open to different points of view in order to do that well and you've got to take the actions of setting this whole thing up and finding speakers and on on and on and on and on but you're living the moderation that you believe in how many people are really living what they say they believe in and how can they take responsibility for their own intentions, thinking, and behaviors as a way to start the larger changes they want to see in the world? Yeah, it, it definitely starts at the individual level when it comes down to it. Change will only happen if you and everybody else is part of the solution to enact said change. These words are supposed to re resonate in you to be a part 
of the solution that you want in society. And we do see some hypocrisy here and there of people preaching things and doing other things, of course. And we also see people who were acting but not understanding what the actions really are. They're just acting or more so they're just reacting to the situation without truly thinking it through, without truly believing in the sentiment that they are acting upon. One thing that I did hear uh, not too long ago, actually, when it comes to an individual that I think that are very integral words for people to kind of abide by to an extent, if if you have nothing else, the you should really create a, a lifestyle that puts you in a situation to live out the truth that you want to live in. These three things that I've heard is that one, you would need a calm mind. Calm mind would indicate that you use rationale, you use logic, you don't get overly emotional, overly irritated. You're at peace with who you are, your peace at how you think your your mental is stable. Next is fitness. I know some people think that it's okay to be however you... That's simply not true. Humans are designed to be fit. I mean, that is within our programming. So you don't have to be a pro NFL player. You don't have to be running a triathlon, but you should feel good. Your your body from head to toe should feel good. You should look at yourself and think, man, I feel good. I feel healthy. I look healthy. That is what you should say to yourself. That is the most important thing. And obviously, having good relationships, having loving relationships, if you believe in love, just having people around you in your household or in your circle that are positive for your growth, that are positive for your mental, that is positive in every aspect. Having an environment with these three traits in particular will provide you the ability to really be okay with who you are. And once you're okay with who you are and what you got going on, you at that point are a perfect representative to get involved. And you don't need a lot of money to do all the things that I said. Just keep in mind. But now it's time for you to get involved. Listen to what David said earlier in the sense that in order for change to start, it's, it's time for you to make that change. If you're not clear in these three aspects, then how are you going to expect to make change? If you're not okay with yourself, how are you going to make a better society? So there's levels to this. It's all good. You can still advocate, of course, but improve on yourself and be a part of the solution. That's that's something we all should want. A better society is just a better life for all of us. That's that's the That's the biggest thing here. Not because you want to be the saint, but you just want a better society, a better life. Let's just say to kind of appeal to the innate uh, interests of the people. If you want a better society, you probably want a society where maybe technology flourishes to the point where you can go into some virtual video game uh, and just have fun without being you know, threatened by some weirdo that hacks all your stuff. You know, you want a society with safety in that situation. Maybe you just want to go out to the movies and not worried about getting shot up. That's another part. They just want to you want to enjoy your life, a better society. Maybe you hey, maybe you like to indulge in certain things from time to time that I, you know, that are not won't kill you, but they're they're interesting and you know they won't ruin your life. These are all things that 
you will enjoy, but also make society better. So I think, yeah, those are all very important things, of course. So with that said, do you have any uh, final words, any final things you want to plug before we wrap up the show? Yeah, I do want to mention to people uh, my book, which is right there called Systems Thinking for Social Change. And it covers a lot of the principles of how systems behave and how to influence systems and enable them to be more effective. Um, and it's it's done very well. Um, and so I would certainly encourage people to look for that and uh, take advantage of what's in there. Um, and outside of that, I, I just want to say again, thank you very much for uh, your invitation and having me on your show. And it's been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your commitment to this work and the work that you're doing. So thank you so much. No problem. I thought that was a very good conversation, of course. And all this information will be on my website on www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. It'll be in the description as well in terms of his information. So make sure you go check out the book. Make sure you go uh, check out his information, of course. So hope you guys all enjoyed. If you did enjoy, rate the podcast of five stars on Spotify, rate five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review if you so inclined like and subscribe to the youtube channel appreciate all of you of course y'all have a good one take care and peace and make sure you guys stick around for this quick promo we'll check it out y'all we got what you need we're all living in apartments condos vans well dude even you can have a studio a studio in a box yes we can help you with that right here at blind knowledge We work on your budget, and we figure out your measurements. We'll get you the best sound for the best price. Let me know, 877-237-1143 or at blindknowledge.com. Yep.